3: Chaos erupted at the U.S. Capitol today when
1: pro-Trump
3: demonstrators breached barricades and pushed their way inside as lawmakers were in the process of making President-elect Biden's election official. Protesters scuffled with police. The Capitol was put on lockdown while law enforcement tried to regain control. Tear gas was fired outside the building to disperse the crowd, and both chambers were emptied. Vice President Mike Pence was rushed to safety. The vice president later tweeted, The violence and destruction taking place at the U.S. Capitol must stop, and it must stop now. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who supports congressional efforts to challenge the election's outcome, described hearing gunshots and condemned the violence as unacceptable. A D.C. law enforcement official said at least one person had been shot. An extraordinary sight inside the House chamber... Police drawing their guns while protesters tried to force their way inside. Demonstrators could be seen occupying the dais. Another image showed a protester inside House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office. All 1,100 members of the D.C. National Guard were activated. In addition, Virginia and Maryland called up their National Guardsmen to help reinforce the Capitol.
1: All right, that's a report from PBS, and by now it's familiar to you. That's the narrative that we heard. That was a pretty mild narrative, actually, compared to what we heard from news sources on that day about how there was an insurrection in the Capitol and how Trump supporters attacked police. In fact, uh, the lies are continuing on this because now we know that that's not at all true. We know a lot about that. The only shot that was fired that day was the shot that killed a Trump supporter, Ashley Babbitt, disarmed, unarmed. Innocent, killed uh, inside the Capitol by a Capitol policeman. Investigation shut down, Or body not, uh, you know, no uh, examination allowed to be made public. Uh, it has been uh, a shocking display, really, of the mass gaslighting of the American people because now we know that the Trump supporters, the violence that we saw was either incited by people that were planted, some, some were agents, even FBI agents, uh, some people, we don't even know what their origin was, but we know that they were in there inciting violence. And we also know now that the police, there were terrible, bad elements in the police who, were, uh, who started the trouble by shooting firebombs into the crowd, uh, who started beating protesters. We now see that Roseanne Boylan was beaten uh, and died. Uh, we don't know if the beating by the policeman was the cause of her death, but she wasn't violent. She was just a single gal who went there to support President Trump. And there are others who died in that conflict, too. There's a lot more to that story. Nevertheless, our president last weekend at the Naval Academy uh, continued to lie. He claimed to the Academy graduates that uh, the mob of insurrectionists stormed the Capitol, the very citadel of Dem- democracy, and killed two police officers. And that's absolutely a lie. He went on to com- make compare the uh, people that are in prison and have been incarcerated over J6 in the D.C. jail as uh, the white supremacist at the Charlottesville uh, um, incident that happened during President Trump's uh, presidency. It's, uh, it is remarkable to me how distorted and dishonest uh, things continue to be and how uh, even people who are in leadership who should know better have distorted it and continue to distort themselves. That reminds me of Mitch McConnell, who uh, just a day or so after what happened, who was so offended that democracy, they tried to interrupt democracy, which at the time, you may remember, I said, that is democracy. When the American people uh, protest and say that they disagree, that something's wrong here, that something's wrong with this election, and we want you to pause this, uh, this account, which is perfectly constitutional, that's why they came, uh, but because it caused a disruption in, you know, Mitch McConnell owns the building, and so did the Democrats. They think that because they are in leadership and they've been there so long that somehow it's theirs, they forget it belongs to the people. But Mitch McConnell was very offended that uh, the, thing, the process was interrupted, and this is what he said on the floor of the Senate about 24, 48 hours later.
2: There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. The people who stormed this building believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. And having that belief was a foreseeable consequence of the growing crescendo of false statements, conspiracy theories, and reckless hyperbole, which the defeated president kept shouting into the largest megaphone on planet Earth.
1: All right, I'm going to interrupt him because uh, I have to tell you, it's stunning to me how ignorant uh, the senators and congressmen are on this. That's why they're so silent. They believe the lies. They have no idea what really happened because they don't take the time to look into it. They listen, they read the New York Times, they listen to CNN, even Republicans, and they're playing to the D.C. crowd. And so I, I have every uh, reason to believe Mitch McConnell is ignorant on this, and, and some of them, they just don't want to know, because that's not what happened. And President Trump, by the way, a, a couple of, an hour, I think, after they, the, he had finished his speech, something like within an hour, hour and a half, two hours, made this speech And they put it on Twitter. Twitter took it down five minutes after it was posted. But this is what it sounded like, clip two.
0: I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election. And everyone knows it, especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We have to respect our great people in law and order. We don't want anybody hurt. It's a very tough period of time. There's never been a time like this where such a thing happened, where they could take it away from all of us, from me, from you, from our country. This was a fraudulent election. But we can't play into the hands of these people. We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel. But go home and go home in peace.
1: That's what President Trump said. But Twitter took it down five minutes later. Maybe maybe Mitch McConnell didn't hear that speech. And so in the ensuing months, uh, not only have the J-6ers been arrested and put in jails and treated horribly, they are still held in 17 hours a day confinement. We're going to actually talk... To two of the prisoners in the in the D.C. jail in just a second. Uh, but they've come after everyone who felt that that election was fraudulent. Even as in the headlines, if you're paying attention, we're finding voter fraud, more and more of it. I mean, in the 2020 election, we're finding out that those machines actually were set up to be switched and changed and connected to the internet. Uh, we're finding more and more information about this. And yet, uh, we're finding out more about how the FBI was involved in this. In fact, the uh, Michael Horowitz, the Inspector General, is thinking about. He has signaled to Jim Jordan uh, his interest in looking to see where the FBI retaliated against agents who attended that January sixth rally. There have been uh, FBI whistleblowers that have come forward to say one of them was a ten-year FBI employee who had been uh, who had honorably served in the U.S. military for more than. 20 years. And he went to the J6 rally, but not into the Capitol. And then they took away his clearance. And when you revoke an FBI agent's clearance, they can't function. So they're after FBI agents that even were there on that day. They're after Clarence and Jenny Thomas. There's just a new article that just came out a few weeks ago about how they are colluding uh, to pollute the next election. Jenny and Clarence Thomas, John Eastman, an attorney uh, of impeccable reputation is now a villain because he spoke on behalf of President Trump at that rally. So lots of people are in the crosshairs. Uh, Jim Jordan and uh, J- Kevin McCarthy, Scott Perry, and other members of the Freedom Caucus have been subpoenaed by this bogus J-6 committee. Plus, of course, you know a number of Peter DeVaro has been uh, subpoenaed, and so has uh, Steve Bannon and other members of the of the Trump team. And many of them have refused to testify because the the... J6 committee was constituted illegally. It is outside of the bounds of what an, the actual rules are for establishing an investigative committee like that in the House. It turns out that Nancy, Nancy Pelosi had appointed all Democrats and one Republican, and that Republican was Liz Cheney, who hates President Trump. And things has made it clear that she thought from the beginning he should be uh, impeached because of his involvement in January the 6th. And accused him of being responsible for what they're calling an insurrection. And then uh, after all, so Kevin McCarthy appointed two good Republicans, Jim Jordan and Jim Banks, uh, and Nancy Pelosi refused letting them sit on that committee. So that's why people are saying this is a kangaroo court. She appointed Adam Kensinger, also a Trump hater. So we got the only two Republicans on that committee were virtually appointed by Nancy Pelosi. And the committee is sitting illegally they're not uh, they're not authorized under the rules to conduct the business that they've conducted. They've been working now for months. they're getting ready to have public hearings. And as a matter of fact, one of the first people to testify will be a guy named Michael Ludig. He's a former federal judge and lawyer who advised former president vice President Mike Pence. Turns out that Michael Ludig was the one that advised Pence that he it was <laughs> that he needed to deny uh he needed to accept the electors uh that there was no reason not to accept them and constitutionally he must uh, that's opposed as opposed to john eastman who said no the constitution does not prevent the vice president from saying wait a second uh let's don't let's don't uh, receive those electors right now because there's so much dispute and the states are asking us to hold off because they're trying to sort out disputes on what happened in their elections there was nothing unconstitutional about that it was uh, michael ludick who talked Mike Pence, who I think was probably happy to be talked into uh, into this. And so Michael Ludig will be the first person testifying in public. There'll be public testimonies, and it should be a real circus, as you can imagine. Well, there are ways that you can help those that are incarcerated. I think the ones on the pecking chain who are suffering the most are those that are incarcerated, held in the worst kinds of conditions. Some of them just had a haircut for the first time in four months. Uh, not good food. They're not able to worship You want to know uh, what's happening with them. And we're going to go to the jail right now and talk to them. And at the end of my time with them, I'm going to tell you how you can help. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
3: Rios in the morning on American Family Radio.
4: Good morning, Miss Sandy. How are you?
1: Well, I'm doing well, uh, but always concerned about you guys. James, um, h- how is everything? What's happening right now? Like, what's happening in your pod right now?
4: Um, first, Miss Sandy, I would just I'd just like to say, if I, if I may real quick, that my heart and my prayers go out to the... Um, the children and their families in Texas that um, have lost their lives and are and are, and are struggling right now, and um, sure. I just I just want to say that um, they're loved. All of us as Gen Sixers are thinking about them and praying for them, and um, we just hope they they get the they get the answers they need and deserve.
1: Hey James, let me ask you something. You have had you you and I've talked before. Yes. You've had a tr- like a spiritual renewal. I'll put it that way and your time in the jail there, and we want to talk about the circumstances, but I'm just curious, has your renewal and your deepening of your faith changed how you view a tragedy like that?
4: Um, you know, I've, 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 yeah, it, it does, um, you know, I've always had a, uh, relationship with God from as, from as far back as I can remember, um, there, there was a, a point in my life where um, I tried to take control of my life and do things on my own, and um, things got things got kind of crazy for me. And um, but, but yeah, when when looking at a tragedy like that um, or any tragedy, it, it it hurts my heart. It does. Um, it's just it's just sad to see, and you know, it's just sad to think that. You know, maybe maybe some of those um, some of those children's lives could have been saved if if it weren't for a slow response. Um, I don't well, know I would, all the facts of yeah. the case. You know, and
1: well, when I think I, about I just it, I hope
4: that you know. Uh, yes, ma'am.
1: Well, I guess the point that I think could be made is that you guys are in an untenable, horrible, unjust situation and terrible treatment, you're still breathing, but one has committed suicide, and I'm sure some others would prefer not, this is just done horrible. There's no explanation for it humanly, other than wickedness, and what's happened to those kids is unexplained evil also, but I guess the point that I would think is that this life, there's so much more to what we're experiencing than our own personal experiences, even when we're in the middle of just the deepest, darkest times, I think, based on your writings and what I've read from you, is that you understand uh, God's ways are not our ways and that there is a purpose in all of these things. And I think that's true of the shooting, too. We don't have time to flesh that out, though, I, I, but I just th- thank you for those. I'm sure people in Texas are really greatly appreciating your concern for them. How long have you been in the D.C. gulag now?
4: I've been here for um, a little over a year now.
1: Wow. And when's the last time you saw your family?
4: Uh, it's been over a year now.
1: And can you, how do you guys communicate? You can talk by phone, right, but not video?
4: Yes, ma'am. Phone, um, there's there's no video visitation, um, for sure.
1: Yeah, and I have to say, you know, you talk about phone, your mother a lot.
4: communication is big. Sorry.
1: We have a delay, sorry. Um uh, you talk about yes, your mom a lot, what she means to you. She you were raised by a single mom and she's made this call possible actually. And we thank her for that. I know that she loves you, but that just from a mother's heart to be separated from you like that is just horrific and I know that you feel it and so does she and so does the rest of your family. You are a marine, you were your dad was a marine, your grandfather was a marine. And so I know I've asked you this before, James, but remind me, why Why were you there on January 6th, and what was it you expected to do?
4: Uh, January 6th for me was just, you know, um, I wanted to, I, I, in my mind, I didn't know if, you know, President Trump was going to be, you know, if, if he was leaving the White House or if he was going to, maybe some things could have happened where he could, you know, possibly be staying as our president, you know, but I wanted to. I wanted to be there to support President Trump on January sixth, um, because he has supported so many veterans, including myself, and the things he's done he's done for veterans over his tenure was was more than any president has done in my lifetime. And I just wanted to be there just to support him and, and to say farewell or you know, or to to cheer him on to, to keep on his fight and trying to remain our president, you know, and that was that was simply
1: it. Okay, in a a sentence, because I want to get to the most important thing to you, I know. Uh, What are they accusing you of?
4: Um, They're accusing me of um, assault on a federal officer. Um, They're accusing me of um, obstruction of uh, justice. Uh, uh, Trespassing on Capitol grounds. Uh, uh, Picketing on Capitol grounds. Um, Pretty much pretty much the barrage of charges that are uh, applied to everyone uh, have applied to me also.
1: Were you anywhere near that tunnel where Roseanne Boylan was trampled and others were hurt? And a police, a D.C. police person uh, went, is seen on video beating Roseanne Boylan?
4: Yes, ma'am. And that's where they're saying that I have my assault. Um, uh, okay. I was actually looking for my mother when I uh, ran up, ran I? Was walking around the building and heard the screams of people yelling, We can't breathe, um, we need help, uh, we need water, we need help getting these people out of here. And I immediately um, jumped into the center of that pile and to the front and made my way to the front of that pile, you know, and, and started trying to help people. And it's in my helping other people that they're saying, I got my assault.
1: Well, that seems to be the common thing by a lot of you guys that are incarcerated. You're just you're, It's second nature for you to protect people. And I, I think I have to make it clear because we always have new listeners, James. James so at least the reason I'm rehashing some of this stuff because people don't know the truth, as you know. And so we have to restate that we are learning that there were lots of different kinds of policemen there and from different part, D.C. police as well as Capitol Police as well as there other were. people plus FBI agents and all of that. And uh, because... Uh, uh, people that supported Trump are big police supporters. It was very confusing to see uh, them start to fight the police. But now we know because some of those policemen behaved horribly. And so, um, th- so that's in Absolutely. in short. Now, since that time, the last time we spoke, you guys had been meeting together. Uh, I don't know how you do it, but for like prayer together and just encouraging and Bible study. And there's great growth that's come from that. But some other wrinkle has happened, and it has to do with your ability to have worship services. Can you tell us about that?
4: Yeah, absolutely. No, we're still doing the organic um, Bible study groups. There's a couple different groups going on, um, and we're still meeting for prayer um, after the 9 o'clock national anthem. We meet for prayer after that, and also during the day. There's one in the morning time and one in the evening time. There's several different prayer groups and, and Bible studies going on that we hold, that we do ourselves, that guys in here lead, that they take turns leading, that they get together and fellowship together. Um, this has been going on for my entire stay here in the D.C. gulag. Um, but where we're coming into a problem is, is we've asked for access to a chapel, Um, We have people in who here are Muslim. We have several, couple guys in here are Muslim. They've asked for access to the um, Islamic Prayer Center. Um, We've had people ask, they've asked for access to an imam. Um, We've had, we've asked for access to a pastor, to a preacher. We have people that want communion. Um, And all of our requests have been denied. In the beginning, they denied our request saying that it was COVID protocols and, um, and now they're basically just denying our requests because they say our housing status doesn't allow for us to to have access to these things as the rest of the the d c jail i mean it it's simply just us um I did get to speak to um i did get to speak to the chaplain here recently about this issue, and he informed me that um it wasn't just us who did not get uh religious services offered to them but also um inmates who are in restrictive housing units as the whole, they call it here, um, also do not get restrictive housing units, also do not get religious services, sorry.
1: So, to be clear, are you saying that you have Muslims in your particular pod? Yes,
5: ma'am. Yes, we okay. have two
1: right and, now. and so they are not, were they there on January 6th?
4: Yes, ma'am, they were. Absolutely. Okay,
1: okay. So they're not; they cannot get access to anyone e- either. I just wanted to be clear about that, because uh, as I understand it, a lot yes, of your ma'am. guards are Nation of Islam, and I think your chaplain is also sympathetic to Nation of Islam. Is that correct, yes, ma'am?
5: He is. He yeah. Is. So he's
1: hostile. Yes, ma'am. He's hostile to. Uh, so you uh, to so just so we get this straight, the rest of the jail, with the exception of a few people who are held in their housing, whatever the word was, are not available. They all can have religious services, have availability of chaplains, quote unquote, uh, but you guys cannot for whatever reason. And they, what reason do they give?
4: Um, for the first uh, ten, first nine, ten months I was here, um, it was COVID protocols. It was uh, Mayor Muriel Bowser's mandates, It was DC DOC policy. They've given us a barrage of answers to why we do not, we're not allowed to have these services. Um, But when I did a little bit of my own research, I found that in their policy, it states that people who are in restrictive housing units are not to be treated differently and are to be offered religious services. And them not offering these religious services, as their policy states, is a direct violation of the D.C. Discrimination Act of 1977. So, I mean, it's in their policy, that they cannot discriminate because of restrictive housing, but they have to offer us the same things that other that other inmates or other detainees here in the jail receive.
1: James, has anyone, uh, have any other congressmen been to see you since Louie Gomer and Marjorie Taylor Green and, uh, I'm just, words fail me, I can't think of their names, but uh, there was like four or five of them, Mo Brooks and others came to see you. Oh, uh, they tried. Anyway, they could barely get into the jail. Yes, ma'am. Have you had any intercession from anyone on Capitol Hill since that time?
4: No, ma'am. We've had none.
1: From your perspective, what could people do to help on this issue? Have you thought that through, or do we need to think that through?
4: Oh, absolutely. I have some things that people can do for sure. Um, One of the things that they can do is the chaplain is telling us now that they don't have volunteers to come up here and offer us religious services. Um, it's, it's. I, I find that hard, hard to believe that you know they have volunteers for everyone else, but not for us. Um, but people can call up here. They can offer to volunteer their services as uh, chaplains, as Bible study leaders, as um, you know, people wanting to to offer to help.
1: You have one minute left.
4: Facilitating uh, with getting us some type of religious services.
1: Okay. So they could, all right, so that's a great, listen, we can we can help with that for sure. And so, uh, you know what, I think the best thing to do is if you are listening and you are interested in helping with that, contact me at sandy at net, and we will together collectively figure out how to make the connection uh, with that jail to help you volunteer. Uh, Shane, uh, James, meanwhile, how can we pray for you? 30 seconds. How can we pray for you?
4: Uh, just, just. Pray for our families, pray for, um, pray for America, pray for our country, um, and pray that, uh, you know, that we just all keep God close to our hearts and that, um, he is going to be our direction for the way out of here.
1: Absolutely. We will do that. And, uh, when is your hearing?
4: Um, I have another hearing coming up, I believe in, uh, August.
1: Thank okay. you for using the Goodbye. Okay, James. Bye. Well, that's the way it works. Uh, uh, They give us so much time, and then they cut us off. And so uh, we're going to uh, wait for the next one to join us. I'm not sure if I should say goodbye. I think so. I think I'll say goodbye for this segment. And then when we come back, we'll talk to our changing things. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
3: Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at sandy at net. That's Sandy at AFRnet Sandy Rios in the morning on American family radio
1: Shane uh, it's great to talk to you I remember we had such a great conversation last time and so I just want to say greetings and uh, for the Lord Jesus for you that are in prison in chains uh, for the sake of the gospel and uh, we are we just uh, we admire and uh, you encourage us with your with your courage I just want you to know that I'm i am um, how long has it been since you saw your family, Shane?
5: Um, it's been, you know, I, I, I live in Houston now, and I was uh, I saw all my children and my brother for his birthday the weekend before I got arrested. So I guess it was the very the last few days of February of 2021. So mm-hmm. since I've been locked up, I guess the last I don't know 15, 16 months, I have not had access to my family. Um, I've been able to speak to them on the phone, but I haven't seen them face-to-face via video or um, been allowed to see them in person.
1: Can I read your words here? This is this is from you. Yes, sir. You say, this situation is very unique. We are on the world stage. We are from all over the U.S., a part of the biggest investigation in U.S. history and under extreme duress. We are housed in a separate pod or unit here in the D.C. Gulag called C2B. The officers call it the insurrectionist pod. A majority of these men have never been to jail, never been away from their families or wives, never even considered losing everything they have because they are being persecuted by their very own government. I want people to understand the magnitude of the strain and stress that these men are under, currently locked in their cells 19 hours a day. Most have been here at least a year, if not more. Some, like myself, will not face trial until 2023 and have another year of this to look forward to. Shane, that's unbelievable to me, all of it. But let's, let's go right to the last part. 2023, I've asked you this before, but tell me again. Do you have a public defender? Is that your defender?
5: Uh, no, ma'am. I have an attorney named Dennis Boyle. Um, he's an East Coast trial lawyer. But he's about my, let's see, my, my third attorney that I've been through. So it's been an ongoing uh, process. Just trying okay. to find an attorney that's willing. My, my public defender was working against me. I hired John Pierce, who also defended uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Hmm. And he did nothing, which was better than working against me. But then my, my attorney now is, is fighting. and. and
1: oh, thank like God for that. Thank for God. And, for, yeah, thank but, God for that. Just, because that's so hard. Listen, attorneys that take on your cases, you know, they, they pay their own penalty. Outside, I mean, it's just amazing. Right. The the it's amazing how muted this whole topic is, and the how, depravity. how most
5: people,
1: Yeah, the depravity. It's terrible, and so this is a courageous attorney. Well, Whatever he does for you, he's got
5: courage. Right. Yeah. Nobody wants to, you know, get kicked out of their country club or their their sweet life here in D.C. or, you know, be outcast because they stood up for those terrorists or those alleged white supremacists or anything like that. And it takes its own unique type of courage to go against the grain and actually be, you know, unbiased and to just do your job and defend someone under fire.
1: Yeah. Yes, so God bless him. I'm so glad. Charges against you are what, Shane? What are they accusing you of?
5: Uh, the largest ones are three three assaults on federal officers and uh, breaking a window at the Capitol.
1: Okay. And so I have to ask you also, were you near that tunnel where Roseanne Boylan was trampled and beaten by a Capitol policeman, Capitol Hill policeman?
5: Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I was yeah. right there by Roseanne, Philip Anderson, uh, Victoria White, the lady that yes. was actually being beaten in the tunnel. Yeah. Um, I was actually hit in the back of the head with the baton by the same very, very same officer that assaulted her. Yeah. Uh, so I was pepper well, now... sprayed four times, hit in the head with the baton.
1: Now we have video of that, so we've got we've got video evidence that it wasn't what they said, and so I hope that he's able to use okay. that in your defense. All right, let's get right to the topic, so, and then we can maybe chat if there's more time on the other side. Um, you guys, I just talked with, uh, with your buddy, James, about them not letting you guys have religious services. So let me ask you this, Shane. You guys, as I understand it, are still holding your Bible studies and praying together and doing as much worship as you can as a group on your own without a chaplain because they won't allow you to have uh, you know, religious services. Why is it important to you? to be able to have an open religious service? Why? Do, what does that matter?
5: Well, you know, we're all, um, sorry, I get choked up, We're we're all suffering alone in ourselves. And like I said before, we're isolated and away from everything we care about, everyone we love. And the only thing that gives me hope, is the Word of God and my relationship with Jesus Christ. And me being in trouble and being in a jail situation before and coming to know Christ in that situation has uniquely equipped me to be able to share that hope with these men. And so being able to go to these groups and sit down and listen to their hearts, and it doesn't even have to be about the Word of God or the Bible. Ultimately, that's where we end up. But it's more about doing a temperature check, or checking in with them, or hearing their heart, or hearing their struggle, or hearing their pain, and and everybody just being able to voice kind of what they're dealing with. And so some days start off just on the conversation. Some days start off on somebody's really having a bad day, and we just kind of go around and and hear each other out. And it's more about the the gathering and just the the organic you know, hearing each other's hearts and being, you know, being there for our brothers and listening, and and then how can we look at this through the lens of God, and, mm-hmm. and you know, <laughs> reading about Joseph and these people in the Bible that went through suffering and lost everything, and Job and all these people, it it's like, I see myself in there, and so it gives us this comfort and uh, this understanding that even though it looks bad and it may hurt, and the physical, that... God is working in the spiritual, and we can't see that, and, and it may be painful for us here, but we know that God is in control, and so there's there is nothing like coming to that realization and kind of just taking that burden off of us and mm-hmm. just laying it at the foot of the cross and saying, God, we we can't see it right now, we don't understand it, but ultimately we trust you, and we trust um, the work that you did on the cross, and so we just pray for that, and that's
1: Let let me just say, uh, when you said it's not so much about reading the Bible, although it is eventually you're talking about that, could I just say that uh, seeking out being together is at the heart of God? Uh, He himself said it's not good that man should be alone. It isn't good. That man right. should be alone. That's why solitary confinement is a punishment. That's why we send children to their bedrooms, you know, as a time out. It's a punishment to be alone. And that's at the heart of God, too. And plus, He created us to fellowship with right. Him. We are created for that. So that's not, we they're not says, mutually.
5: Yeah. Go ahead. No, it says it in the Word, too. Don't, do not forsake the fellowship. So you're, you're totally right.
1: That's right. So don't feel badly about needing that. That's God. That's the way God wired you. Tell us the story about how hard it was to get a Bible.
5: Well, yeah. So I was in Houston and I got transferred uh, via Conair, and that is a real thing. Um, and all the things I was going to be able to take with me, which was a Bible that I had got from the chaplain in Houston, my legal paperwork, they threw all that away before we got on Conair. Um, and then we eventually got here about two weeks later to D.C., and I put in about five requests to the chaplain here, uh, attempting to get a Bible, maybe it was like four requests before I ever got one, and, and I finally did get uh, a Catholic Bible, I guess it's a, uh, Knights of Malta Bible. Um... There's a Muslim guard who's been really, really good to us who tried to get me a Bible and was uh, unsuccessful in doing so, and it's just almost impossible to get the chaplains to to do anything um, here, which is unfortunate.
1: You know, I I have to report. I think this is so cool. I was reading what you wrote. The Gateway Pundit and Jim Hoft has been supporting you, and his listeners have been supporting you. I don't know if it's financial, but I think they've been responsible for getting Bibles to you guys also. So I wanted to give him credit for that. I think that's phenom- phenomenal. And in your, in your writing here, you talk about what the chaplain was passing out, literature. He's not giving you Bibles, but literature that says separation from our open enemy is a must uh, talking about white people as enemies and uh, advocating a separate black state or nation. Another phrase from it is, "We have no right to trust white people on this vaccine. So they're passing out this to uh, people that are incarcerated in that jail in DC, but they weren't they weren't allowing you to have Bibles. Just by contrast, I need we need to make that point. So,
5: right. No, uh, they, he came through one day, and we, we caught him, and he had the FairCon newsletter on the cart, but no Bibles. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we grabbed a few copies of it just to see, and, and sure enough, that's what it held on.
1: Hey, Shane, when you guys—are uh, you able to actually physically be together, or do you—you commu- you don't even have to, I guess, tell me what you can without causing any problems, but are you able to physically be together when you have these Bible studies, or do you have to do it in a different way?
5: Yes, ma'am. So, typically, you know, like I said, we get five hours of day, room time a day, and through, uh, this has been a campaign of winning hearts and minds of the guards, and they see a struggle, and then they see the fruits of, we were just doing whatever, because they separated this top tier and bottom tier, and so usually in the morning time, one tier will come out, and then the evening time, the top tier will, uh, the other tier will come out. And so what we were having to do at first was just have the Bible study, Whatever tier was out, that's what we would have to do. Well, then, through uh, gaining favor with the guards and God uh, granting favor with them, we were able to get the guards to let out opposite tiers or whatever to allow whoever wanted to come to the Bible study to just come for the hour that we had it, and then they would have to go back to their cells.
1: You know, this reminds me, uh, Shane, i spent quite a bit of time in China interviewing people. Uh, now, it's been a long time. But uh, the persecution was great when I was there. I was last there in 2001, so that gives you kind of a timeline. But we would meet with people in the oh, underground wow. church, people that had been arrested. I've just had, it's just been incredible to hear their stories through the years. Uh, but one thing that they said this is not just one story, I heard this repeatedly. They would be jailed and they would come out of jail. I would interview them right out of jail and they would be like filled with joy because th- their guards. One or two, not the whole crew, but had come to Christ, had completely changed. I remember right. one, one diamond smuggler that became a friend of mine. His name was Jonathan. Talked to me right after he'd been, he'd been in jail for almost a year. He had five little children, and he was telling me how the guard was beating him, and he was beating him working so hard that he was sweating on Jonathan. And the, the Holy Spirit got into Jonathan, and he said to the guard, I'm sorry that this is such hard work, you beating me. That's actually what he said to the guard. Uh, the just incredible wow. miracles of inhuman uh, responses to inhuman um cruelty to them. And so I just want to you guys are having an impact. I I think you the story is only in the in the making, Shane, you have no idea what impact you're having on the people around you. I know that's not much of a comfort, but it is something that God uses and well, what do you, how would you describe the spirits of your friends? We have one right minute here? left. Oh, oh, Shane, t- in the one minute we have, what can we do? How can we help you?
5: Um, Just, you know, pray, pray for us. And uh, like, a, again, just a call to action for people to not sit on their hands anymore. Like my best friend told me, he can't do politics. And that is not, absolutely not what we can do. We've been granted this garden to tend, and we have to be good stewards of that garden. And that means being engaged in the government day-to-day operations. We need to call our senators, our congresspeople, our representatives, and let them know what policies and things that they're implementing that we disagree with, whether it's the treatment of the Jan Sixers or whether it's grooming or uh, teaching our kids CRT, whatever it is, I encourage people to use your agency, utilize your agency to engage um your representatives, because they are there to represent us and you, we the people.
1: And Shane, how can we pray for you Thank you for using oh. All right, Goodbye. Shane. God bless you, Shane. All right, well, that's all the time we have. That's just the way this goes. And so uh, I hope, how could you not now be on your knees in prayer for these guys, uh, for James McGrew and for Shane Jenkins and all the other guys that are there. There are no women left, as far as I know and uh, pray for them, pray for them, and intercede for them, and to think of practical ways that you can help. And I'm going to give you some practical ways you can help. We've already discussed, if you're in the D.C. area, if you're in Northern Virginia, and you would be willing to go into that uh, uh, D.C. jail and uh, conduct religious services for these guys in that pod, uh, contact me at sandy at afr.net, and I will get the word to them. Uh, secondly, if you just if you feel more equipped to do Bible study with them uh, to, in the D.C. jail and that D.C. pod, that's equally important, and that would really remove the excuse that the D, that the authorities in that D.C. jail have given for not allowing them to have religious services. So anyone who could do that, step forward, please. Our, uh, my email address is sandy at afr.net. And secondly, uh, some of you have been writing to these guys for a long, long time, and so let me encourage you to keep keep that up. That is such an encouragement to them. Uh, and, and some of you may not have done that. And so if you'd like to, go to PatriotMailProject.com. That's PatriotMailProject.com. Also, uh, most of these guys have a page on Gifts and Go. Uh, and I'll get specific with you about how to find them because they all have different handles, I guess as it would be called, uh, gives and go, and you can help them because you can imagine their families are not wealthy. They have been unemployed now for a long time. They've lost businesses. They've lost their source of income. Their families are struggling. Their extended families are struggling to try to help them, and so they need financial resources, and some of you are able to do that. Uh, By the way, there was a retreat coming up for the families, I don't have a date. It's this summer. They're still working on it. And as soon as they do, I'm going to bring that to you. And there will be ways, maybe scholarships for families. Maybe you could pay for one family, one mother uh, who loves her son, and he's in jail, and she hasn't seen him for over a year. Just think of the scenarios there. Young moms with their kids living alone, they just need support. And so that's another way that I'll be presenting. But uh, the last thing is just, um, and um, we talked about it a little bit at the end there, but that's politicians. This is election season. And so everyone in the House is running, and it is very appropriate for you to ask candidates, whether they're in office, incumbents, especially incumbents, since um, they have a record. Have you been to the jail, sir? How many times have you been to the jail to visit those prisoners? How many times and in what ways have you interceded to help them to correct this injustice? How have you spoken up in public? to defend them, to declare the injustice of this. Give me examples. And for the candidates, will you, will you defend these guys? How will you do it? How much are you willing to do? Have you done it before? And so that's those are the questions that you need. Some form of those questions is what you need to do. Hold their feet to the fire. Let them know that this is important uh, to you as an American, that this injustice be corrected. There are some great sources that, uh, one, I've given you a long time ago because I interviewed the founder of this website. I believe he's a carpenter down in Texas. He's a great guy, but he has kind of become the repository of all the things on the J- behalf of the J6ers. And it's, listen, here we go. You got your pencil. It's stophate.com slash J6. Stophate.com slash J6. The things I just told you the Gibson go addresses the uh, Patriot mail project all of this stuff the retreat will be there the dates all of that if you can go to stophate.com/ j6 uh, that will give you information just you know put that in a safe place so you can periodically check it and we will put that again on our, our on our getter page so that you can find it plus some of this other information uh, and also remember that Julie Kelly is writing for American Greatness she's the chief writer, journalist, who has been following this faithfully. And so you can go there to read recent articles and also go back in time and read about some of these people who are incarcerated and what their stories have been and what's happened to them. So um, I hope that you have benefited from this show. I do every time I talk to these guys in jail. It moves me so deeply and inspires me to just keep going and keep going until they are free and we've helped them in a meaningful way. Let's not forget them and let's do something to help them. This has been Sandy Rios in the morning. Thank you so much for listening on AFR Talk.